everyone. I trust that uh, the morning finds you rejoicing again in the goodness of the Lord and uh, counting your blessings and casting your cares, as Pastor Johnson would encourage us. I trust that you've been enjoying again the uh, meetings that we have been um, uh, hosting or forwarding to you through our live stream, these uh, Canadian Conference uh, on Revival. And uh, we're going to continue that again today. Today, I think, is going to be a very special day. Uh, this morning and this evening, and we'll talk about that. I trust that you'll be sure and join in. Um, if you are uh, reading through your the book of Romans uh, during the month of May, as I propose that you could do twice, then you would be perhaps in the book of uh, Romans chapter 12 this morning. And uh, that's probably one of the uh, more well-known practical chapters in the New Testament. Uh, remember, we have all the doctrine in Romans chapter 1 through 8 and then dealing with the nation of Israel 9 to 11, but then chapters 12 and 16 are very practical, and particularly this one, uh, loaded, full of stuff. I, if you remember last time you read through Romans 12, I asked you to go through especially verses 9 through um, uh, 21 and put a check mark beside everything that you're doing because uh, there's a whole list of little things, just a couple of words each one. Uh, suggesting things we ought to do. Well, this morning, uh, I want to just give you this thought. Uh, you can really divide the chapter up into four pictures of the Christian life. And so verses 1 and 2, the Christian life is a, pictured as a sacrifice upon the altar, presenting your body a living sacrifice and not being conformed to the world but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So a sacrifice on the altar. And then from verse 3 down through verse number 8, uh, the picture is of the Christian life is that of a member of a body. So the church is the body of Christ, and each one of us is members in particular. And God gifts each member of the body in a, in a certain way, with a certain gift. And we're to use that gift within the body for God's glory. So you might think about that. I'm a member in the body. What's my purpose? What is my gift? How should I be serving? And then verses 9 down through verse number 13 I would say is a picture of the Christian life being uh, of the Christian being a brother in a family. We're not just a member of the body; we're a, a, a member of a family. We're a brother or a sister in a family. Uh, we're brothers and sisters with Christ, and we're brothers and sisters with one another. And it talks about brotherly love and the expression of brotherly love and care. And then the final part of the chapter, verses uh, fourteen down through twenty-one, the picture is that of a soldier in the army. Uh, we're soldiers in the army of the Lord. Uh, we're uh, fighting a battle against the forces of evil and darkness. And, um, and so those uh, four pictures cover our, the practical responsibilities we find in Romans chapter 12. Um, a sacrifice on the altar, a member in the body, a brother in a family, and a soldier in the battle. And, and gives us particular instructions or thoughts concerning each one. I hope that that will help you as you read through the chapter today and ponder what God would have for you. Let me remind you to be praying. I'm not sure we weren't able to determine the time for Mary Phyllis's surgery today. I spoke with her last night, and um, she's fearful, of course, uh, but assures me that her uh, the question of eternity is settled in her heart and her mind, and um, I want to make sure of that, and so we chatted for a few minutes, and it's difficult to understand her, but she uh, basically assured me that she is confident that she has rested in Christ, and uh, so whatever happens, uh, she would be ready 
Um, but let's just pray for God to bless today in the surgery. We'll do that in just a moment. And uh, continue, if you would, to pray for Nancy, uh, who's unable to be with her and see her at this time. This morning's message is going to be preached by Pastor Guillaume Waugh. And Pastor Waugh is in Quebec. He's one of our missionary uh, family. Uh, we supported him from the beginning as he went to St. Augustine to start a church. And uh, we are delighted in the ministry that God has given him. And you will sense his heart this morning. And he's basically preaching on the uh, idea of the gospel and suggesting that maybe we've forgotten the gospel and the role of the gospel and how important it is to maintain our focus on the gospel and the truth that Christ lives in us. That's the gospel, uh, that, that we live a new life and that life is in Christ. And uh, I think it'll be a real blessing to you. And uh, Pastor Tricky and I are going to sing in a moment uh, that song, uh, Christ Liveth in Me, to go along with the message. Now, I want to give you a, a heads up. Tonight at uh, 7 o'clock, uh, we are going to be presenting the next message, which is uh, Pastor David Webster. And he's the, the pastor of the church there in uh, uh, Saskatchewan, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, that is hosting and putting on this conference. And um, it is a more lengthy message. I think he preaches uh, about an hour and five minutes or so. Uh, and before the message, uh, he has his daughter play a, uh, a hymn on the great pipe organ. They have a pipe organ in their church that has over 4,000 pipes. It's an amazing thing. And uh, when Pastor Tricky and I were there a couple years ago, uh, being in the room, uh, it's just amazing. It's just fantastic. Uh, it's not quite the same on the video, but I think you'll enjoy it. It occupies about the first 10 minutes of the uh, video you'll see tonight, his talking about it and then the, the song before he begins preaching. So all told, uh, we're talking about an hour and 15 minutes tonight. Uh, so I just wanted to give you a heads up, but, but if I could beg you, uh, I would to make sure you listen to this message. This message is a powerful message and a message that really speaks to the whole thing about what God can do in times of revival and how, how Esther had come to the kingdom for such a time as this and what kind of time it was and so forth. So I'd encourage you uh, to do that. So block off a little extra time tonight, and I trust it'll be a blessing uh, to your heart. All right, before we get to uh, Pastor Juan, his message this morning, uh, we'd like to sing for you, Christ Liveth in Me, if you know the words to the song, you're welcome to sing along with us. Once far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see, but in God's word the light I found, now Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. As rays of light from yonder sun, the flowers of earth set free. So life and light and love came forth, from Christ living in me. As lives the flower within the seed, as in the comb the tree, so praise the God of truth and grace 
His Spirit dwelleth in me. With longing all my heart is filled, that like Him I may be. As on the wondrous thought I dwell, that Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. Amen. No other religion, no other faith in the world can say that. That the Redeemer, uh, the source of their salvation and life, lives within them. What a wonderful privilege and power uh, in being in Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for Pastor Waugh and what you're doing there uh, through him in St. Augustine, Quebec. Uh, thank you for the testimony of his salvation and his call to ministry. And uh, thank you for the privilege to listen to him preach now on this important subject of the gospel. I pray you'd work in our hearts afresh and anew. I pray that the work you have been doing all week long in the lives of people across Canada and even around the world would continue as people follow through with the decisions that you impressed upon their heart to make through the preaching. Father, we do pray for Mary that today you would be with her in a very very real and special way that she would sense your loving arms round about her and holding her up. I pray you guide the doctors and physicians. We pray that if it would please you, Lord, they'd be successful in, uh, in uh, taking away and removing the, the cancerous cells and uh, things that are troubling Mary. And we would desire her uh, a successful surgery and desire her recovery and her health and ability to go on for uh, more time in life and Lord we would ask you for that and uh, we we leave it in your hands we pray you'd be with Nancy today as well give her peace and comfort and knowing that uh, you are in control and uh, all is well father bless your church today bless our missionary family and may we all be found rejoicing in you and obedient to you and we'll give you thanks we love you in Jesus name amen all right let's uh, let's get to the message Sure, he'll come. 
come for me Maybe today My Savior I shall see Maybe today From sin I shall be free Jesus will come and I will go home It may be today We'll sing His Well, thank you, ladies. Maybe today. You never know. It's what one day can change everything. Uh, one day. And uh, these ladies did a tremendous job. What a blessing to have uh, our ladies. I want to thank them for their singing and helping us with the music uh, in preparation, practicing. Thank you. God bless you. And now we have a special speaker that we are looking forward to hearing. Uh, Brother Roy, as we would pronounce it in English, uh, and I won't try and say it in French, and uh, he is a good friend. Uh, last year, their church hosted the National Canadian Pastors Conference in Quebec City, and uh, it was a real blessing. I was there for that. In fact, I stayed in his home. He had me, he let me, uh, allowed me to be a, a guest in their home, which was a real blessing to me. We're thrilled tonight to have him preaching in the conference. And uh, whether this would have been a physical conference or an online conference, I plan to have him come and preach. And initially, this conference was planned to be a, a physical conference with Dr. Flanders, and we were going to have it. And God had another plan. And uh, in this plan, that God has is doing far more than what a conference in Prince Albert, in my opinion. We have had hundreds. We had on that little promotional clip that was sent out, the little, the little promotional video, we've had over 10,000 people watch that. We have people tonight in the Philippines. Well, it's tomorrow in the Philippines. We have people, uh, we have people all from every province in Canada that are watching and taking in this conference. People that couldn't normally come. People that wouldn't normally be able to drive here or fly here. 
and they're able to take it in because of the technology that we have today. To God be the glory. We're thrilled to have a little small part in it and to be able to help. Our goal is that it encourages churches across Canada to come out of this COVID isolation with a sense of blessing, reminding us who we are, who, where we're going, reminding us what the potential is if God is in it, and that's revival. Well, at this time, Pastor Waugh is going to bring the message tonight, the first message. God bless you, brother. Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Guillaume Roy. I'm pastor of Église Baptiste de Saint-Augustin uh, in the greater Quebec City area. And I am uh, honored and humbled to uh, be able to preach for the 2020 Canada Revival Conference. And I believe that uh, God orchestrated this conference uh, the way it is for such a time as this. Because I believe that God sent the COVID-19 uh, as a wake-up call to his people. God wants to bring us back to him, to the basic uh, truth of Christianity and to Christ himself. So I am so thankful that uh, God uh, put that on the hearts of those who organized the conference. And um, I'm very uh, pleased to be a little part of it. So on this uh, Tuesday night, May 26th, I'm glad to uh, go in the Word of God with you in the book of Revelations. We will read in chapter 2 the five first verses. The five first verses and the title of my message is, Have We Forsaken the Gospel? Have We Forsaken the Gospel? Let's read Verse 1 to 5, Revelation chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things said he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden sticks, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labor and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come, Unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its of his place, except thou repent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can consider your word tonight and these precious truths about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And may he be lifted up, exalted as the great and only Savior. And Lord, we look to you expecting from you. Please meet with us right now in a very special way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in light of the text that we just read, the answer to the question, have we forsaken the gospel, I'd say would be no and yes. No, because uh, I think we have kept the doctrine, uh, like here with the um, church at Ephesus. We have uh, took a stand also historically uh, in our churches. But in another way, I think we can say yes, 
we have somehow or somewhat forsaken the gospel uh, in the fact that we have forsook the very giver of it, the very life of it. And the one whose love is the very power for the proclamation of that gospel. To be very clear, I don't think we've gone away um, uh, or this way because of any evil, evil intent in our part or um, that we have uh, willingly uh, forsaken the gospel. I think we have been more deceived uh, than uh, we have really had the uh, wrong intentions. I think we have been re- de- de- deceived in reversing the order of God things with the gospel, and I would say especially the gospel to the saints. We have proclaimed Christ uh, crucified, buried, and risen to the sinners, and that's wonderful news, and we keep doing it, and we should do it all the time until the Lord's return. But tonight I want to talk more specifically about the gospel to the saints, because the gospel is only the entryway into the Christian life, and it's for the rest of the Christian life. And so tonight, I want to go like with Paul, what he says in Colossians chapter 2, when he says, As you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, also you need to walk in Him. So, that's what I would like to touch on tonight. And uh, I think um, that in general as churches, we have preached and practiced a sanctification that is more leaning towards works than faith. Trying to obtain victory by good principles, by spiritual laws, but without preaching and teaching uh, that which must precede, which must precede uh, the illumination of who is this God who gives us the gospel? Who is this God who uh, we identify with? And I think this is the key to victory. Actually, the New Testament doctrine of our union with Christ, what we are in Him, and what He is in us, and all that it entails, I think this is the the, the secret ingredient. This is the key God has given us, New Testament believers, for a victorious, revived Christian life. Revival simply means the life again. The life of Christ back again where it's supposed to be in our lives. Let me just give you two examples uh, by way of introductions. I think, for example, we've tried very hard and sincerely, and I'm talking here about dedicated uh, Christians who love the Lord, but we've tried by being deceived to give our bodies a living sacrifice, which is very good. But we have not done it in light of the mercies of God. You see, we have uh, put a lot of emphasis on the application, but we have uh, neglected the, the great doctrine, the great truth from which it, 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 it's flowing. Another example, I think we've tried very sincerely uh, to serve God, like Ephesians, you know, the different facets of, of the Christian life in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, uh, which is a wonderful uh, portion of scriptures. And uh, 
we really have tried hard to honor these principles and, and walk in them. And I would say we have, especially we have tried to uh, attain the spiritual life uh, that we see from chapter 5, 18 on, and uh, the spiritual warfare and everything. But I think we have been weak or lacking in soaking our hearts, our mind, our spirit with the wonderful redemptive truth of chapter 1 to 3. Let's be honest tonight. I think this is our tendency. I think this is something that uh, we have to be honest that we have had, had that tendency. And I see God turning things around. So I'm preaching here tonight full of hope, knowing that our God is so good. He is doing a work to bring us back to Him. And so I think that we have moved from doctrine to conduct too quickly. Uh, we've missed the doxology part. We've, made, we've missed the, the awesomeness of our great salvation and being so captivated by it and so enamored with the great salvation we, are, we have and then from that serve and give ourselves to God. It's, it, this makes the whole difference in the world. Actually, if we look at um, Galatians uh, 3.1, the word bewitched that is used here means to be captivated. We have been captivated by the wonder of the law of serving the Lord. And we've been caught up in a performance-based uh, type of Christianity or type of sanctification. Or some uh, call it sanctification by works. And... I think this way we have taken our eyes off the rewarder, the author, and finisher of our faith. I think the proof of that can be seen in the lack of, of just marveling at, at the awesomeness of our great salvation. Because we think, this is not practical enough. Give me the practical stuff. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit inspired these truths that are just as important what we are. Everything that we understand and, and we, we, we know of what we are in Christ, all the rest would stem from it. And it's the order that is important. So that's why I say, I think it's a deceit that is involved in there. Um, so... I think that when we, we, we look at the general picture, uh, instead, instead of having a relation-based, faith-based uh, uh, relationship with the gospel, we have had more a performance-based uh, relationship to it. And even though we're, we're, and I'm talking about good, solid, dedicated Christians, uh, and of course, me included. Uh, now, I want to make the point by showing you from scriptures two subtle ways by which I believe we've been uh, forsaken the, forsaking the gospel. First, in Hebrews chapter 8, I, I think the first subtle way that we have forsaken the gospel is, is seen here. In chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 6. We have underappreciated the new covenant. We have underappreciated the new covenant. Look at uh, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also is he the mediator of a better covenant, 
which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant has been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the, gov the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the land uh, to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. And the text goes on, but we'll, we'll stop there. I want to especially uh, point out in verse 8, it says, for finding fault with them. Why finding fault? Uh, certainly the problem is not with the covenant. It's not with the old covenant. It's perfect. Uh, nothing to show about uh, God and the, the, the covenant that he contracted with his people in the Old Testament. Actually, the problem is with those who were supposed to keep it. And we know, of course, according to the rest of scriptures, and we can think, for example, of Romans 8, uh, 3, that because of the flesh, we were bound to fail by trying to keep the old covenant. That's the whole point of the covenant. That was to bring us to Christ, to uh, want us to see, the, to desire a better covenant with a better mediator, with better promises like we just read, to bring us to that conviction. And that old covenant was characterized by a lot and a, a, repeat, an, a, a incessant repetition of imperfect sacrifices, uh, which were in, in, by which it was impossible to settle the sin problem once and for all. Um, actually, the whole point of those sacrifices was to remind us of our sin. Remind us we have a problem that needs to be settled. It was to remind us of our need for God. But you know, praise the Lord, because in the new covenant, there is only one sacrifice. If the old covenant was characterized by many sacrifices, the new has only one, and it's perfect. It's once and for all. The book of Hebrews, actually, chapter 10, verse 14, lays, lays it out so clearly, for by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's a perfect offering once for all. Christ sacrifice on the cross. And if the first covenant was to remind us of sin, that second covenant is actually taking them out completely. And even our conscience um, is, uh, is, is, is freed from those dead works um, because of the, the blood of Christ that is shed for us. So this is the glory of the cross. This is the glory, the victory of the resurrection. That is the new covenant. Now, because in our sin nature, we always default, the default setting of our sin nature is go by, going back to the law, going back to performance, going back to try by ourselves. This is human basic fundamental nature. And because of that, uh, we tend to relate to God, even as New Testament believer, as a member of the New Covenant, we tend to relate to God in light of the Old Covenant, in, in light of performance of, did I, um, I perform enough? Did I do enough? 
It is only by the renewing of our mind that we relate to God in light of the new covenant, being totally accepted in Christ, where the faith response to the perfect work of Christ changes the whole uh, service that we render to God. And um, I believe that as spiritual leaders... uh, We have been afraid to preach grace to its full extent. Somehow. Uh, Maybe thinking people will go off the deep end if we go too hard on grace. And there is something as going too far on grace. But I believe we didn't go where the Bible uh, was asking us to go. In Titus, the Bible says that grace is teaching us to... Uh, live a certain way, to flee certain things, and, and to look for other things. And it's like if you're afraid to preach uh, grace too much, it's like saying, I'm afraid I'm going to preach Jesus Christ too much, and maybe people are going to be tempted to go back into the world. Now, if we exalt Christ so much and everything we have in Him and the perfection of His work, it's going to bring people to Him. Not to the world, and the world's going to look so uh, ugly, and so uh, I, people will will not be uh, tempted to go uh, back into the world. The very opposite is true. Now, I think that's something we need to understand. With this, part of the problem is there, there has been a confusion in 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 terms. You know, the Bible states some facts. Like they are like this, no matter how you feel about them, if you're a believer, it's a fact for you. Do you know that we are dead with Christ and we are alive in Him? You say, oh, Monday morning when I go to work, I don't feel like I I, I am dead to sin and alive unto God. Yes, but that's a fact. And basically, uh, I'm referring to Romans 6, 11 here when it says, reckon you as dead unto sin and alive unto God. It's an accounting term. It's a very non-emotional, cold term. Just it's a fact. Yeah, you you, you might not feel like it. Like you, sometimes you might not feel like uh, you're like this or that. But it's just a fact. And we have confused that sometimes with promises that are conditional that we can claim, and sometimes with commandments. A classic example. I've heard, and even I've been guilty in the past to. Preach on Romans 6.13. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. And really the, the emphasis is, you got to give it all you've got and, you know, give your best to the Lord. And again, I mean, with good intentions and, I mean, there's not something wrong in and of itself just with this, the problem, if you just preach this in a vacuum, and if it's only Romans 6.13, you miss the whole point of the chapter. Because in Romans 6, it starts in verse 3 saying, Know ye not that you're supposed to know that you are dead with Christ, alive unto Him, dead to sin, and alive unto God. We're supposed to know this, and then it goes on further After some explanations in verse 11, it says, Reckon ye, reckon as a fact that you are indeed uh, dead unto sin and alive unto God. And because of that, in light of this, because of that now new 
mindset that you have. Sin is not your master. Christ is your new master. Everything changes because of that understanding. Because of that, now, therefore, you yield. You see, it's a whole world of difference between the two. One is just cold commandments given, trying to hang on there, hanging by your own bootstraps. The other one is acting in light of the grace of God and what God has done to me, through me, in Christ. One is asking for the best of human volition and human capacity. The other is asking for the faith response. Because of Christ has done. It is our reasonable service to respond by giving our, 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 our bodies a living sacrifice. You see? So, that's where I see a reversal in order. And to put it in other terms... When we don't understand sanctification properly, we distort the gospel. Because we become the initiator. God, I want to give my best to you. And and you see, it's not because it's of ill intentions. But we are the initiator. God, I want to do this. And, you know, uh, I love you and I want to do my best for you. Whereas God wants to be the initiator and we respond. When we look at things in light of Christ, then we say, Wow, God, because of everything that you have done in Christ and everything you've made me in Jesus Christ, I cannot do anything else than give myself to you wholeheartedly. This is a major difference and it has to do with our understanding of the New covenant. Now, I think there's transforming power in this, and it goes even more than that. The second subtle way by which uh, we have forsaken the gospel is we have undervalued our identity in Christ. We have undervalued our identity in Christ. Look with uh, with me in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we're going to read verse 15. In a couple other verses, in Ephesians 1.15, we read, Wherefore, I also, after I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation In the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Wow, that is Pauline, that there's a lot of... (laughs) A lot of truth just in those sentences we've read there. Um, But that's a powerful text of scriptures. And in short, I think that we have undervalued our identity in Christ because we've not seen it. Paul, who was writing to the Ephesians who were doing well, he's saying in in verse uh, 15 that he heard of their faith and their love and they were doing great 
but he didn't sit down and say, oh man, they're doing great, I'm going to pray for uh, maybe the Galatians or the Corinthians that are not doing that well. No, no, no. He prayed that God would reveal themselves all the riches that we have in Christ. Because this is spiritually discerned. This is something that really, it is so vast, so big, so deep. It has to be the Holy Spirit to really show it to us. So that's why I believe we have undervalued it. Because we've not seen it for to, to the old extent it is. Uh, and because of that, we try to find our identity in what we do instead of finding it in what Christ has done. And we have come out of it dry and fruitless. And we see that because in general, as a movement, we have not walking more towards uh, fruitfulness, godliness, joyfulness, but more towards uh, worldliness and those kinds of things. And in fact, we should have just come and drink fully at the fountain of living waters. And with that supernatural strength of that fellowship of, of our union with Christ, <coughs> with that grace which means enabling power, <coughs> we, we would have been able to go and proclaim Christ and His great salvation in a way that is... <clears throat> totally supernatural. That is not common when we just see it among men. That is revival. There is something supernatural, something that is not explainable in a human way. That is when people encounter Christ in a very special way, so much so, everything about them changes. They don't need to boast about it. They don't need to talk about it. It just shows. People will tell, you're different. There's something different with you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory taking all the space. Do you know that this identity in Christ is the great New Testament truth to guarantee us victory over sin and the world and the devil? Let me give you an illustration. One of the men I admire so much is a modern-day saint by the name of Joseph Tson, or if you speak Romanian, Joseph Tson. The man was born in Romania, he was saved there, but then he went to England to uh, study, and he, he got his degrees there. Then God called him back to Romania to preach Christ. That was in the 80s, uh, when it was still communist and very dangerous for Christians uh, to be there, and even more so for a preacher, <coughs> To proclaim Christ everywhere. So people were trying to talk him out of it. Saying this is crazy. You're going to die. And he told them. You know what. The only uh, possibility for a sheep. To survive among the wolves. Is, is that to proclaim Christ. And the wolf will, uh, will, will be converted. So I'm going like Christ said. As a sheep among the wolves. And I'm going to trust him. That he's going to use his word. Uh, to uh, do his will. And to this day, as far as I know, Mr. Tson is still alive and well and happy in Jesus. Now let me just tell you the secret of Mr. Tson. He explained in a, one of the preaching that we've listened from him, there's two very fundamental 
basic truth about God and what he is in, in God that really made the difference to help him go through all the things he went through. And he went through a lot. This guy should be dead 10 times over. He was arrested by the secret police so many times, threatened of death, going in prison, you name it. He went through a lot of things. But he was bold and courageous and even used an expression to talk the way he was, the aggression of love. He was bold, but full of love, respectful, not pride and arrogant, but just proclaiming Christ, having the joy of the Lord. And his secret is found in two truths that the Lord really ingrained in his heart so deeply. The first one being the sovereignty of God. God is in absolute control of everything. One time we're sitting in, in front of five of the top secret police agents, uh, interrogating him, trying to break him. And they said, oh, like all of a sudden, it's like God opened my eyes. I saw them just like puppets. God put them there. God put me there in front of them. And all the fear and the threatening, it just went away. I saw them as God's, as God's puppet. They couldn't do anything to me that was not allowed by God. So he, he had peace. That's the first thing that really carried him through. They said, we are in Christ's hand and his hand is in the Father's hand. Anything that would touch us, the devil, the world, will be allowed by God. Because he would have to take out his hand, open uh, Christ's hand and allow this to touch us. So we're secure. Actually, he used the word invincible. In God's will, nothing can touch us that God doesn't allow us because we are one with Him. And so these truths really made the difference in His life. Now, when I think about this, I'm thinking, man, I'm not exactly there. I see that I have forsaken very subtly my first love. By forsaking it or trading it, my identity in Christ, what I am in Him, what He is in, in me, by a counterfeit identity based on works, based on my performance. And my friend, when we do that, we make ourselves the center of our Christianity. It is tragic. It is tragic. For example... You probably heard that, and I've said that. You probably said it yourself. Oh, in our church, we do this, and we do that, and we do this. Oh, hey, we don't do this, and we don't do that. And nothing wrong with this in, in, in and of itself, but very often what is meant, it's a statement of identity. This is what we are. We do this, and we don't do that. This is what, you see... It's good to be soul winner, to, to, to preach expositorly, to uh, support mission, to have the right kind of music, and all these things. <laughs> none of them is bad in and of themselves, but none of them is good for identity. That's the trap. That's the deceit. We've tried to find our identity in what we do instead of finding our identity in Christ and then do according in light of this. You see? This is the main point of the message. If there's one thing you remember today of the message, it should be this. Everything stems from why I identified with. Again, let me illustrate it with um, this uh, thing I went through uh, when we started the church. 
here in St. Augustin in uh, 2007. As a young pastor, I fell in the trap of trying to find my identity in building the right kind of church. And if you're a church planter, you probably, I don't know, I hope not, but maybe you have fell in the same trap. Is it right to try to build the right kind of church? Of course it is. We want to build the right kind of church, but it is not where we should find our identity. Why? I tell you from experience, it made me miserable. It made me a man pleaser. It was not bringing forth good fruit. Why? Because even though those things are not bad in and of themselves, actually they're good, I reversed the order. I tried to find my identity in them instead of, listen, going to Christ and say, you have to build the right kind of church. I'm not able. I don't even know how. I don't know where to start. I know how to continue. I fall so short on so many fronts. But God, you're not limited by this. You see, it's simply coming to Christ as dependent children for direction and enablement. That is the plan of God. That is where we find our identity. God, without you, I cannot do nothing. And let me tell you, I want to finish with this. There is great freedom there. Great freedom. Why? Because now I'm free to be weak because Christ is my strength. <coughs> I am free to be lacking in so many ways because I'm complete in Christ. I am even free to fail at times because Christ is my victory. He's my wisdom. And I, I don't need to hide anymore. One of the tragic thing of sanctification by works is that it makes us, like in the garden, hide from God and hide from one another. We're not truthful anymore because we don't want to show the bad side of us. But if I'm, I know what I am in Christ, it's not a threat to humble myself and say, man, I'm weak. Oh, because like Paul said, he was even boasting in, in that because he knew that's when Christ was strong. There is freedom. You're not bound to try to measure up to man's standard. You rest in the perfection, in the finished work of Christ. This is the difference between night and day. And it is so wonderful, the real freedom. And I think this is revival. When God's people found, is, is finding the freedom we have lost in the garden. Sin is very enslaving. Self and the world and Satan's lies. But in Christ, all these things, they're lifted up. And when, the more we tap into the infinite resources of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the more we enjoy that freedom, the more the Spirit has freedom in our life to express Christ's love, Christ's joy, Christ's faith, everything in and out, in, 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 uh, through us. What a deliverance. What a Savior. This is wonderful, my friends. Let's look to God because He has made us what we are. Ransom, redeemed, restored, forgiven. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you tonight.
that you are so rich in mercy and full of grace towards us. You're patient. Thank you for sending this COVID-19 virus to call us back to you. This is a wake-up call. This is your desire expressed to revive your, your people. Would thou not re revive us again that we may rejoice in thee? Oh, Lord, open our eyes to the infinite riches that are in Christ. Lord, we have forsaken your ways by trying to put ourselves in the spot where you should be. Lord, we've been deceived. We're sincere, most of us. We want to please you. But we go about with the wrong means, the wrong way. Oh, Lord, we just want to come back to you. Keep doing your work like you're doing. In what you've started, we trust that you'll finish it until you come back. And we know it can be very soon. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. May the Lord bless you.